Hey everyone, it's Robert Poole with the Growing Your B2B Small Business Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to grow your revenue, keep more of your clients, and reduce the stress in your life caused by your business. Let's get started. Do you have a small business that sells to other businesses? If so, you probably know that there are plenty of resources for companies that market to consumers or companies that sell to large and Fortune 500 type of companies. But what about the small businesses in the middle who sell to other companies? Where do we go to get answers? How do we grow our company consistently while still keeping our sanity? That's the question, and this podcast is the answer. If you're listening to this podcast, you're part of an elite group of achievers who aren't willing to settle for just a 9-to-5 job. You're one of the heroes in our society, and you should be proud of it. Welcome to the tribe, and welcome home. Hey, everyone. I hope you're having an awesome day. In the last episode, we talked about the concept of in-person and virtual appointments and how to conduct them for the most effective outcome. Today, I want to talk about an area that can be a sore subject for a lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, and something that can be an ongoing irritant and throttle in your business. That subject is client or customer expectations. What I mean by expectations is that what the client thinks they're buying versus what you think they're buying. Unfortunately, a lot of times those thoughts are vastly different. This creates disgruntled clients and can make your life and your team's life very miserable in how you have to deal with them day to day. First, just a quick story to illustrate what I'm talking about. When my business partner and I started out in our B2B marketing company almost 20 years ago, we almost started by accident. We were actually running a web design company and using our own cold callers to get leads for us. We had a website client who we cold called and that wanted to borrow or rent our callers to make calls for him. We gave it a try and we were shocked about how well we did for this guy. I mean, he was a a business broker. So if you don't know what that is, he's basically a a realtor that sells businesses instead of homes. So, I mean, at that time, we didn't even know what a business broker was. But since we had such good success in generating appointments and leads for this client, we decided to pursue this as a business and started going after other business brokers nationwide. One of the first calls we made to a business broker was a broker in Glendale, Arizona, right outside of Phoenix, where we're based. At the time, we decided to price our cold callers on an hourly rate, but we kind of sold those hours in, in blocks of 10 at the, I think it was uh, 10 hours for $240 back then, which, you know, there's not much if you think about it, even if you adjusted for inflation, that's only $356 in today's dollars. Cool calculators you can find on Google. But so we told this broker about some of the results we'd gotten for the first guy. And I think this was like five or six appointments at the time. And these are in-person appointments. Times have changed and the numbers aren't as good as they used to be, but they're still sufficient to make cold calling worth the cost most of the time. So in almost 20 years, I've not forgotten what this guy said when we told him it was $240 for 10 hours. He said, geez, for $240, I'd expect at least four listings. I mean, we were flabbergasted. You know, as little as we knew about the industry, we knew business brokers could end up with a six-figure payout on a sizable listing if it sold. At a bare minimum, they were probably going to make at least ten dollars to $15,000. So even if it took a 100 hours, you know, at our $240 rate for 10 hours, i.e. 2400 This guy would have made a killing, and yet his expectation was totally different from our expectation and understanding of value. I mean, this is quite a gap between the client's view and our company's view of value and therefore expectations. Can you imagine how upset this guy would have been if he had taken him on as a client and charged him $240 and then not delivered close to the four listings? I mean, unless we got real lucky, of course. Now, that's an extreme example, but something our company, I think a lot of businesses deal with, the gap in expectations for your service or your product. Let's talk about first why that divide exists and some ideas on how to shrink that gap. 
First, think from the client's perspective. You know, why is their expectation of your product or solution different from yours? I mean, there's several reasons, but you know, off the top of my head, I'd say one, they're used to what they perceive as similar products or services, you know, in the past. And so they probably expect a similar experience, whether it's true or not. They're putting you in a category. You know, they are looking to solve their problem, you know, and they're looking at your service to think, to see if they think uh, it'll solve it. And again, it's what they think. And they might come to the wrong conclusion. They're uneducated about their problem, possibly, and also probably possible solutions. They really, you know, think they know what they're talking about. But a lot of times, you know, that's not their expertise, so they don't. And then, of course, they value things differently than we do sometimes. I mean, for instance, you know, my wife values travel much more than, you know, things. Uh, I, you know, of course, enjoy traveling, but I would really prefer something solid that I can touch, you know, as far as uh, how I'm going to spend my money. And clients often base their expectation on what others have told them. Most of the times, those are unqualified people to talk about it. You know, it's the old uh, cocktail party stock tip. You know, it's bad advice to do that because they don't know what they're talking about. So on the other end of the, the gap, what about us? Why do we have differing expectations and views of value than our clients? Well, number one, I would say, you know, we're not clear on who we can help and we attract the wrong clients. We expect people who don't really need or value our service don't think like we do and don't have the same values to have the same expectations. I mean, it just doesn't make sense, but it's, you know, it's so simple and it seems obvious. But a lot of us do it, including myself and our company. Number two, I think we underestimate how much clients need education on our service or product, especially if it's not a common commodity. I mean, it's a cardinal rule of selling and dealing with clients, you know, that we assume that we know what they think or, you know, that how much they know about things. We think, you know, they should know this, but not necessarily. And even if they do, they probably just need to get reminded about the basics again. Third, even if we do have education or understand that, we really have no system or thought out process for educating clients and helping them understand not only our solution, but understand their problem better and what they really want. I mean, this has been a big problem over the years at our company at Sales Double. And, you know, I'll be honest, we're still working on it as this is, you know, difficult and we're trying different ways to help educate our clients. We need to educate them not just on our specific service and features, et cetera. We also need to educate them on just the general idea of their problem and need to educate them on actually how to use our solution, you know, to make it most effective. And last, uh, you know, like I said, off the top of my head, uh, there are probably others, but we generally don't do a good job of collecting ongoing feedback from our clients to identify those areas that need education, uh, you know, clearing up misunderstandings and false beliefs about our service or how to use it. I mean, this is another one for big uh, sales double. You know, only in the last few years have we actively solicited feedback that we've learned areas where, you know, the two perceptions of our product and, or, you know, your service or whatever differ. So we've talked about, you know, why there's a disconnect in perception and understanding of our service or product and what our customers think about it. But what happens if we don't manage the expectations? I mean, there are a lot of consequences. And unfortunately, I think I've experienced most of them at our company. Fortunately, we've learned from our mistakes, but these are some of the things that got us in trouble and cost us business and created tons of unnecessary stress for our team. First of all, you know, if there's a wide divide between your perception of value and your client, you're rarely going to develop raving fans. And without raving fans, it's very hard to grow your business over time. Without fans who stick up for you and go out of their way to tell others good things about your company, you're going to end up with just complainers setting the narrative in the public. The only way to calendar this is to create those raving fans to drown out the negative ninnies. If you and your clients have vastly different views of your service, it's almost impossible to develop those raving fans. So this is a big one. 
What else? Um, so the stress of having this gap is going to make it very hard for your team to stay motivated and focus on serving your clients, particularly customer service people. When they get people calling or emailing and complaining about things that they didn't get what they thought we were getting, you know, that's a problem. And this gap is going to cause heavy turnover in clients if you sell, you know, repeat clients on subscription products or services, which incidentally is, you know, every, uh, something that every business should figure out how to do somehow. This one has cost us a ton of money over the years. You know, I've forgotten who said it, but basically, if you think about all the clients and customers who have used you or your products, you know, but no longer do, how much money have you left on the table? You know, at our company, you know, it's horrible, but I'm embarrassed to say that this has probably cost us tens of millions of dollars over the last 20 years. I mean, that's an amazing stupid tax to pay. Along with turnover comes clients badmouthing you, saying your product or service doesn't work or it sucks, and basically more negative PR that doesn't help you sell or grow your company. You know, another one, you know, clients think they got ripped off or swindled. I mean, we've all signed up or purchased things based on a perception of what it was going to do for us, only to be disappointed with the reality of the product and felt almost stupid for buying it or been really upset at the company uh, that sold it to us. I mean, think about those feelings. Is that what you want your clients and customers to feel after doing business with you? I think not. To take this further and more concrete, if someone really feels ripped off or feels like you misrepresented your, yourself or your product, regardless of the facts, now you open yourself up to financial disputes and even possible legal action, depending on the deal. So nothing good that we want to deal with. This next one's really personal to me, and I've mentioned before that many years after we started out as a company, I, I found myself resenting some of our clients. Unfortunately, I blamed them when it was actually my fault. You know, when there's a divide between client perceptions of our service and product and what we think we're providing, it opens itself up to resentment on both sides. On the client side, they're frustrating and feel like they didn't get what their money's worth. On our side, we feel like, well, why aren't they recognizing the value of our service and what great results they're getting or could get? I used to feel that clients who, quote, just didn't get it were clueless, and I resented them because they didn't understand like I did. But this was a totally backwards perspective, and it was actually me who was at fault. You know, and then I'd say the last reason, finally, uh, most of us are, you know, we're ultimately in business to serve our clients or customers, and money is just the value we get in return for providing that value to them. However, when it comes to expectations, you're really hurting your clients by letting them set the narrative, letting them create their false perceptions in their mind of your product or service. If you let them do this to themselves, you're robbing them of that benefit of the results you can get them. You really have a moral obligation to help them understand the value of your service or product. So that's a lot of reasons why not closing the gap between the client perception and ours. What are some of the good things that come out of managing this issue? You know, a lot of it, as you can imagine, is sort of the polar opposite of the consequences of a wide gap. To start, you have an excellent chance of developing raving fans who will do testimonials for you, tell their friends and contacts about you, mention you in industry meetings, and so on. As we know, a referral from a current fan, a happy client, is much easier to sell than someone who's deciding whether or not to trust your company. So why are these clients potentially raving fans happy to tell their friends? Well, they got exactly or even better than they thought they were paying you for. You know, one of my early mentors, Jerry Eames, told me once, business is simple. Go to the marketplace, tell people what you're going to do for them, and then actually do it. When it boils down to it, it's really that simple and what we're in business to do. If we deliver or over-deliver on what we say we're going to do, clients will become raving fans and make our lives and growth much easier. So developing these raving fans directly affects your turnover as well. Go back to the concept of all the past customers and clients you've had and think about what a difference that revenue would have made to your company. I mean, I know I'd take that in a heartbeat. 
But besides money, the substantially reduced stress for your team and yourself can't be overstated. If you and your team come to work every day and deal with clients or customers who have a completely different view of your value of your service, how it works, or have false beliefs about the solution in general, it's going to be stressful and it's going to be painful. I mean, this has haunted our company for years for all the reasons I started out with. I wish I could say we no longer have any problems with this expectation issue, but it's simply not true, and I don't think it's realistic. The goal is to get as close to the middle as possible and shrink that gap between the two, but you're never going to completely be on the same page as your clients as you have internal knowledge that they don't, and vice versa. And lastly, when we do business, I think one of the main goals should be to develop relationships with our clients and customers. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have thousands of customers or just a few. If you have thousands, you may not know them by name, but you can still develop a relationship by making them feel important, valued, and that they consider your company to be their go-to solution for that problem, even almost in the friend category. Getting everyone on the same page with clear expectations up front changes their relationship from a transactional one with no loyalty to a relational one where your clients and customers, you know, turn into raving fans. With all this, I hope I've convinced you about the importance of shrinking the gap between you and your clients, but as always, that's just theory. So how do we actually do this closing of the gap? And there are many things you can do, of course. At our company, Sales Double, we've tried a variety of things and by no means perfect. We're getting better and better at it, but it's not a walk in the park, particularly if you have developed bad habits over the years and been in business for a while. But here's some of the things that we've done that have helped us. Number one, uh, it's a mentality or mindset or thinking change, whatever you want to call it. You know, we have to realize and be comfortable with the fact that a certain percentage of our clients are, let's face it, just plain nuts. And no matter how much we define expectations up front, how much we train them and provide education for them, you know, they still don't get it and they're going to fall into the category of disgruntled. I mean, anyone who tells you that you can get 100% client satisfaction is selling you something. The key is to understand this, get rid of those customers as they identify themselves and constantly try to screen these people out before they even become customers. It's just cost of business and there's really no way around it. Okay, so what's the number one thing we can do? First, be very careful about defining your ideal customer. If you don't have a good handle on your product or service, you know, who that delivers great value and results to, you're going to market and take on the wrong clients who have the wrong expectations and you're to experience all the negatives we talked about. Get this right before anything else. It's really the foundation of many areas of your business. Next, I would say confirm that you understand the problem that they're coming to you for. Just because someone who contacts your company and indicates interest in your product or service doesn't mean you'll be able to help them. I mean, hopefully your marketing over time improves so that you attract more of the right people and less of the wrong. But if you don't understand what result they're trying to achieve by coming to you, you're going to deliver results that may or may not solve their problem because you really have no idea what the problem is. So spend time on this. Another one, be very clear in every interaction from the lead stage to the sale in what they can expect from you. And even more importantly, I think sometimes what you can expect from them. I mean, if you're going to have a relationship with client versus a transaction, it's just important that they know what you expect from them. If they think it's just a one-sided and you're going to do everything without communicating with you and working with you, you're going to continually be frustrated and it's very hard to deliver results from a one-sided transaction. In reality, what you want is partners, not customers or clients. Business is most successful when two parties work together towards a common goal that helps both of them benefit. Don't ignore this side of it. The next one gets a lot of salespeople and companies into trouble, and that's the courage to state only the facts of how your solution solves their problem. Don't exaggerate. Don't puff. Don't give them any impression that's not 100% true. Don't let them assume anything if you know what they're thinking. 
they won't forget what they are promised, and you'll suffer the consequences of that exaggeration and puffing. You know, what about the education factor? Unless you're selling a widget that's extremely simple and, you know, the exact thing your competitors and the whole populace understands, you know, you need to educate your customers not only on your specific product or service, but also the concept in general. I mean, we have prospects that come to us thinking that they know all about lead generation and appointment setting. Some think it's a simple thing and they don't need any help. However, you don't know what you don't know. I mean, most likely you don't go to your mechanic and tell them how to fix your car to get it on the road again. You know, I personally know little about cars and I depend on the dealer or mechanic to educate me on the issues. You know, how to keep it running. What do I do when I have a problem and that sort of thing. It's part of our job to teach our clients about solutions to their problem. Help them get clarity on the problem and educate them on our solution and why it makes the most sense for them. A lot of clients come to us because they want to, quote, increase sales. Well, that's pretty generic. You know, we have to teach them that they have to be much more specific. I mean, do you want overall increased revenue? Do you want higher numbers of clients? Do you want clients just to spend more, you know, get increased revenue that way? I mean, education is a pillar of closing that gap. So continue with education. Sometimes the problem is not the education itself. We've made this mistake in the past and are still working on it. You know, if we fire hose information uh, down the throats of our clients and education, you know, they're not going to absorb it and they're not going to be educated at all. I mean, what would happen if you took a course in American history that is normally a four or five month semester long course and try to cram it into two or three weeks? Most likely people in the class wouldn't perform real well as it's just too much information for the brain to comprehend in such a short period of time. Yet we do the same thing with you know, our clients, you know, this particular item has been an ongoing struggle with our clients and we still work on it to this day. So figure out every possible way to educate your customers. We all learn differently. And, you know, I mean, for instance, if you want to sell me, you got to give me detailed text-based things, documents, PDFs, whatever, that go over the needed uh, education. If you tell me verbally or you, you ask me to watch a video or listen to an audio, I'm going to lose interest real quick and I'm not going to educate myself at all. My wife, on the other hand, you know, has to talk to somebody. And as she talks, she kind of works things out in her head. She'd never sit down and read some long educational piece. You know, neither one of these learning methods are wrong. We're just different people and learn differently. So how do we deal with these different learning styles? Well, we want to present the information in multiple ways and let the prospect self-select, so to speak. We want to give the long and short text documents, PDFs, whatever, long and short videos, audios, you know, chatting over the phone, whatever it takes. You know, if we just have one avenue of education, that'll only work for a small group of people and everyone else will ignore it, kind of defeating the whole purpose. And here's a big one. Don't assume our clients and customers know things that you consider basic. Think about it like you're explaining and educating your grandmother. It's better to be simple in plain language. You know, we've made this mistakes many times thinking, well, you know, that's basic sales. You know, we don't need to teach them that. You know, if they don't know how to do it, um, a lot of times you know, we think it goes without saying, but it doesn't. Even, and even if they do know how to do it, a lot of times they need reminders about basic stuff. I know I do. So if appropriate for your product or service, take the time to set up training or educational resources for your customers, like a monthly webinar, a Zoom call or whatever, customer lunches, you know, any, any different ways you can do things. You have to break things up in chunks and help them get their mind around it. So it may take time, but it'll close the gap. Of course, you know, there are others, but these are some of the ideas that we've used in our business. Takeaways from this episode, closing that gap between your, what your customer thinks about your product or service and their expectations versus yours is a constant work in progress. 
And one of the ways you can set up the narrative and influence your customers to start to see it from your perspective in reality, the higher likelihood you're going to develop raving fans to turn into more money and grow your business without tons of stress. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Have an awesome day. Thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something you can implement right away. I know your time is valuable, and it's really an honor to serve you. Please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform and give me your honest feedback. Also, I put together a short ebook on some of the top lessons I've learned in 20 years owning a B2B business. You can download a free copy at growyourb2bcompany.com. 